Joey Styles at the Golden Dome in Manaka, just up the road from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, where we have the largest crowd in ECW history. I want to make a promise to everyone within the sound of my voice not just in the Golden Dome, but watching at home across the country, that tonight, we will give you a November to remember! Of the Retro Wrestling Podcast. I'm intern Alex, joined as always by the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. The road to WrestleMania has been set at Royal Rumble. We're doing Elimination Chamber next weekend already. Yeah, February is just on a roll, man. Uh, so usually this isn't a big month for news, but what do you have for us this week, sir? Kenny Omega did sign with AEW. Not only did he sign, but he got a job title as well. He is executive vice president along with the Bucks and Cody, so he is in the offices as well. I never thought there was much doubt as to which side he would be choosing. Uh, He said to have entertained offers from the WWE and AEW, and so there was a very small possibility that he would go to the WWE, but uh, I never really saw that as uh, something he'd be interested in, because he's seen what happens with people that go to the company or come up from NXT and... uh, don't want to take your chances on that. Now, you might be treated like AJ Styles and be brought in at the level you should be, or you could be brought in like Bobby Lashley and be in the middle of the card lost. You know, you can't go from having six-and-a-half-star classics with Okada in Japan to then working Curtis Axel on main event. Yeah, this doesn't work out because, I mean, he's now got to bring every bit of his talent to AEW, and they can't slack, man. It's a workload that... To get this thing off the ground, they're going to have to really bust their ass. And so, I mean, I will be shocked if they can put out Double or Nothing as being the first AEW event, per se. Get it off the ground without a single problem. I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm glad it's going, but I'm just saying, there's going to be problems. So this was announced at a press conference in Las Vegas, which unfortunately they set up to be like a pool party environment. It was like at a pool, but it was like 46 degrees in Las Vegas, so no one wanted to uh, hang out in the pool. Right. There were technical problems with like the microphones and sort of the timing of some of the stuff they did during the press conference, and it was better executed than the original announcement press conference in Jacksonville, but... That does, yeah, they're going to have technical snafus definitely during the broadcast. They're just, they're not professional broadcasters. They don't have a TV deal yet. That was one thing that didn't come out of that press conference. There was the announcement of Kenny Omega, uh, and he's apparently going to face Jericho at Double or Nothing. Uh, We had Hangman Page is going to face Neville at Double or Nothing. And we had the Lucha Brothers, uh, Phoenix and Pentagon Jr. They showed up. They did not announce that they signed exclusive deals, which... 
makes sense because they're working shows for MLW and Impact uh, coming up over WrestleMania weekend. So they are in high demand. These guys are probably the most sought-after non-exclusive talent right now in the, in yeah. the talent pool. And they are going to take on the Young Bucks at Double or Nothing. So Cody still needs uh, someone to work with on the show, and they still need women's matches set up. But the card is starting to come together, which is a good thing. But the fact that they didn't announce a TV deal, to me, was really disappointing because it seems like every week, Patrick, now we're getting these rumors of people in the WWE that their contracts are coming up and they're disgruntled and they want out. And really all it is is posturing for a better deal. Like, this week it was unbelievable, Patrick, because it was Randy Orton, who will never leave the WWE. That is such a stupid story to run, but all these wrestling websites ran the story oh he's looking at AEW no he's looking at making more money the next time his contract's up he would never leave why would he leave this company this company treats him like royalty uh and frankly he doesn't deserve it because he's a jerk but uh they treat him like royalty he'll never leave and then another rumor the Usos uh yeah they won't be leaving the WWE these guys are lifers they they have family ties to the company And they've been treated fairly well. They haven't made a lot of WrestleMania cards on the main card the past few years. But they... And the tag division is pretty weak right now on both shows. But they're not going to leave. This is all just trying to get more money when my contract comes around. So, But without a TV deal, I can't buy into any of it, Patrick. Because I, you know, I've always been of the mindset, I don't quit a job... Uh, unless I have a job lined up. Right. And so, as an independent contractor, right. as you are in wrestling, you can't really do that right now with the fact of you only got three giants, and that's New Japan, WWE, and Ring of Honor. And if you were even remotely caught in this day and age talking with the other side, you may say, they'll just be like, oh, we don't need you anymore. Like, they'll, they'll really do that. They can't have open negotiations with another company because that's, in, like, infringing on pre-existing contracts and stuff. But they, tampering with existing contracts, you can't, that's that's against the law. So they can't do that. But also the thing is you can't, when you, since they're independent contractors, they only get paid when they work. And so if you were to leave the company, even if you went and asked for your lease, got it, but then you had nowhere to go and you're stuck to a 90-day clause... But you quit before the company you wanted to go work for had a TV deal. I just think that's nuts, you know? Because yeah. they, they have, yeah, they have some money because they have the Khan family behind them, but they don't have a TV deal. How long is the Khan family going to be invested if they don't have a product that they're selling? Right. So, and as popular as the Elite are and the rest of the guys on the Double or Nothing card are, an internet-based pay-per-view, I think you're looking at a maximum of about half a million buys. I just think that's the ceiling, really. I don't think you're going to do a lot more than that. You'd be quitting right now for one pay-per-view that you could possibly work if you were able to get released today. So, yeah, AEW had the press conference, and Kenny Omega came over, which is a huge get for them, and they should, you know, announce that and have a big hoopla, but... No TV deal to me is just like, okay, well, I'm still waiting. Yeah, you're wasting your time. I'm saying this every week. I've been saying it. Where's the TV deal? So I love to think that it's going to get off the ground, but without that, then you're dead in the water. I assume that they're making progress with a TV deal, but you're not going to be a major player in this industry without a television partner. Speaking of TV, the uh, the WWE Network 
Have you heard of it? Yes, I'm one of the fools that actually pays for it. Me too. Uh, even though it seems like most people on the internet don't pay for it, they just they they found loopholes about how not to pay for it. So they put out their uh, numbers for 2018. 1.526 million people paid. That's basically the ceiling. Uh, that number, it's been around that number now the past couple of years. That's not a significant increase or decrease. So they've kind of they've, hit the ceiling. Yeah. They've kind of flatlined as far as subscribers now. Th- right around 35,000, though, did their free pr- subscription and then dropped it. 35,000 free was probably their first quarter numbers of people that had trial subscriptions. I mean, for a year, they probably have over a hundred thousand people that that do the free subscription trials or whatever the biggest news that came out of that quarterly report was that uh george barrios or one of the wwe guys mentioned that and i mentioned this on our last podcast is that they've switched uh streaming providers for the network and I was kind of wondering what that meant for the network, and one of them sort of alluded to maybe a price increase on the network, and we've talked about it many times on here that, you know, you're going to have to give us extra content, and what, tiered pricing, so, you know, they're going to offer you a $12 package and an $11 and, or whatever, something like that, and for $12, you get to see this and this and so on and so forth, but... The reason I believe they're going to raise the price more than ever is because Netflix has gone up to $13. So that means the network has now sat back and watched Netflix raise prices twice in the last three years without doing it. I mean, the network has never raised its price from day one. So you're talking about we're going into year number five of the network without yeah. a price increase. That's pretty incredible for right. uh, any any company. I mean, that's... I mean, capitalism, we, we just raise prices, we nickel and dime you all the time. So for them to have remained stagnant on the price, and I assume that was in hopes that the number would grow, that the ne- the number of subscribers would grow. But now that they've reached this plateau, now they're going to see who sticks around and how much they can raise your rates and how much they can nickel and dime because they look at that 1.526 million number and they say, well, these guys are our hardcore fans. They're with us, yeah. ride or die. How much can we get out of them? And yeah. that's how much the price increase is going to be. So, Or maybe that's when they start limiting access to WrestleMania, which I never thought they should have given away with the network subscription. I just think that's a bad business. You're big four, you shouldn't. I no, I know, like, yeah. yeah. I thought that... That was crazy when I heard it because when they announced the network, that was rumored to that was what they were gonna do is keep those separate, and I thought that was the right thing to do. Yeah, and I still would have subscribed at ten dollars or whatever. Yeah, because I thought all the to me and you and I, I mean, this podcast lives in the archives, so that's really what we're paying for is just all that archival content, and so it was just a bonus to get all that stuff. That was just like a no brainer. Now I have to sign up for this thing, but. Uh, if they took that away, I wouldn't blame them at all because that's just good business sense. I mean, that every yeah, every at least for WrestleMania, maybe not all four, but once a year, Patrick, you're gonna have to give me twenty extra dollars if you want to see the big one. Right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's no different than making your money ba- back in the day on pay per view sales. Right. You know, it's it's basically that concept, and that's I don't know. I've I feel like it would be a great, you know, a great idea. 
Like, if the upper-tier pricing included content that I really wanted, because the stuff that you and I are going to want, I feel like you especially, are going to want more uh, archived content. You're going to want, like, Shotgun Saturday Night. Right. You're going to want all of WCW Saturday Night. You're going to want all this stuff that they have yet to put on the network. Yeah. From the big three, basically. Well, they've got everything on ECW's there, but... Uh, so you want the rest of the WCW and WWF archives, and even you want older stuff than that. But I think what they're going to try and do is the upper tiers gets newer stuff, like from indie promotions like that they work with, like Progress and like RevPro and like those uh, companies. I think is what'll be offered in the upper tiers, and I don't have a lot of interest in that. But if if an upper tier gets me better archival content or something like that, or something special like. Uh, alternate commentary on pay-per-views. Wouldn't it be great if they had a separate table set up with, like, I don't know, uh, Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler are calling the pay-per-view, and I've paid a dollar extra a month to, to get hear that. that. Yeah, or just alternate people. Just Paul Heyman calls a pay-per-view. They just rotate a table out, like, or there's like a behind-the-scenes camera or an overhead camera that you get access to. Like, you get some different views or something like that that would be that would interest me but as far as uh you know watching indie promotions we have power slam tv and we have all these other avenues to watch independent wrestling as it is so that doesn't really interest me and of course the big white whale if they could ever get the impact library if they could get a partnership with global wrestling that's true uh, and just put that on there anthem at this point with Impact being on the Pursuit channel and basically forgotten about in the pro wrestling world, I just think it's a no-brainer to just say, not sell them my archive, but give them, lease it to them, and say, yeah. okay, uh, you give us $5 and you charge 6 or something. Like, you know, some some sort of deal where Anthem will get money for just doing nothing. But Right. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, I mean, I feel like Anthem doesn't want anything to do with TNA, Impact, whatever. So, if you could just... It's a lot like the Turner deal with WCW failing. It's like, oh, hey, we're not interested in this. Here you go. We'll sell it to you cheap. I feel like if Vince actually offered, they'd be like, okay. In the past, there's been rumors of discussions about getting the archival content from Anthem, but... I think the impasse is that Vince would probably want to own outright the content and not lease the content because that's the great thing about the network is that they own everything on it. They pay zero dollars for anything. Right. So everything, the network, your $10, and outside of what they pay to the streaming company and the people you know that work within the company to upload that stuff, it's all it's all money for them. Because right. Because everything they've got is already in the can and they own. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so they would probably want to own it outright. But on this tiered pricing system uh, where they're getting a cut of the action and not having to do any additional work or whatever, I think they would be I think they would be open to this because I think that's that TNA footage is probably the only way you're gonna get some people to say, Okay, I'll give you fourteen dollars or whatever they want. Well the asylum years especially, you know. Yeah, they don't even have to have everything. They can stop it up until a year. But yeah. I think they at least have to go through... The first ten years, I feel like, are the are the crucial years that everybody wants. I'd go a little bit beyond that, because I would take it to where 
angle showed up right right around where we watched Genesis, right around 2007. Yeah. At least. Yeah. And then if if you wanted to wait on or not just give us anything beyond that, I think that would be fine because you're still going to get all that AJ Styles footage, all that Samoa Joe footage. I mean, they could even reach out to Ring of Honor and get Ring of Honor archives. We so. talked about it, but you know, I don't know if this means they may already have it or not. But in the Hardys documentary, we you know they showed. Oh yeah, and in uh, the AJ Styles Table for Three, they used some Global Wrestling Network yeah, footage. So, but they showed Jeff Hardy when he was all fucked up that night. Oh yeah, against Sting, that great yeah. great world title match. And so, but I mean, just I feel like. Like, I don't know, maybe they do have access to it. Maybe they've worked some sort of a half-and-half deal or something. I think that footage showing up on the network was a first step, definitely. But I don't know what further they've they've done uh, to secure that footage in the future. But I do think it'd be a great idea. Yeah. And and that also goes for, you know, Ring of Honor footage as well. uh, Since they have so many guys, uh, you know, you could watch... Tyler Black before he was Seth Rollins and stuff like that. So, or Kevin uh, Steen, American Dragon, Daniel Bryan, or Brian Danielson. Uh, which is, I mean, they put some of that footage in the video game, and or Nigel McGuinness, one of their commentators. Like, they've got so many, cr- there's so much crossover now, yeah, uh, that there's really no reason not to get some of that footage on there. And I understand that you know, Ring of Honor has Honor Club. And Impact has Global Wrestling Network, but make the smart play. You know why? Why try to ask a wrestling fan spend thirty dollars when you can spend sixteen or whatever? Sixteen and yeah, yeah. No, you're exactly right. The Undertaker has took down all of his affiliation stuff on his social media pages with WWE, and in regards to that, he has also placed up there that he is taking bookings for independent shows, Q&A sessions, whatever. Now, he will not be wrestling. I highly, highly doubt that you will ever see him wrestle at a show like that. There might be, I mean, money talks. He probably still has some sort of Legends deal in place where he can't do televised shows, but, you know, if, yeah, money does talk, Patrick. Well, I mean, money talks also for twenty-five grand an hour, to have the Undertaker come and, you know, like you said, you're going to pay the 25 grand and have him come and clean your house. Of course, yeah. I'm going to make him do menial jobs just so I can have footage of the Undertaker. I'm going to make him have his full garb on, you know, his uh, uh, to- his uh, hat and his jacket and his all his stuff. I'm going to make him roll his eyes in the back of his head to vacuum my uh, carpets. So, and just so the, I can have footage of that. Play the gong during the whole in the house exactly i'm gonna have him turn my lights on by raising his arms and taking his hat off and you know i just i'm gonna make him mow my lawn i think the neighbors would really enjoy mark calloway riding around on my lawnmower uh if i had twenty five thousand dollars to just waste like that i would absolutely say okay we'll see how do you really want twenty five thousand dollars undertaker or do you want yeah i mean because what i think is that you want twenty five thousand dollars to but, come sign autographs, and yeah. then you want to charge for autographs, and then pocket that money too. And then I also think 
you don't that doesn't include your airfare and your hotel and you're going to want that paid for as well and you're going to want to fly first class and you're going to bring your wife and you're going to want to stay at the nicest hotel in town so i'm thinking uh it's going to cost a promoter more like uh 30 grand well the rental car too patrick i mean the undertaker can't just be running around in some jalopy you got to rent a hearse for this guy that's right so uh yeah i th- it's super expensive but an if- hour though like we're not talking about for an event 25 grand an hour yeah it makes you th- wonder it makes you wonder because you went and saw him here we have a local car show here and you went and saw him what it was about 10 years ago right yeah it was maybe longer than that at this point i stood in line i, I mean i got there at noon and he wasn't showing up till like six that evening and there was a line like and I was, threw out the door. I was third in line and stood there that entire time by myself and just for the opportunity. And how many hours did he do that night? Two hours maybe? Yeah, because he had a road agent there with him and so they did what they could do. They got through as many people as possible. There were people that still in line that didn't get anything because he had to go and hit his next uh oh, i remember when this was this was actually like 16 years ago because it was heading into wrestlemania 20 where he's coming that's back right he's dead he man. coming back and he yeah. told you you got the scoop right yeah there. yeah i did that's right we had a cool little conversation there um uh, wow 16 i wonder what he charged then i don't know it wasn't 25 grand because i can tell you this car show would not pay anybody that kind of money to no. sit there it, but it does make me think that they're like they have, because they have, you know, or they have had, you know, they've had other wrestlers, other there. wrestlers or, or legends at the shows, and so they've had Virgil there. I don't think he got twenty five grand. They had DiBiase. Well, so. I, yeah, that was one of the few times. Usually on the Lonely Virgil website, it says, you know, Virgil. The the joke is always Virgil has his banner, and it says the Million Dollar Man is there, but he's never there actually. Yeah. But he they actually got him there that one year. Uh, but they're they're not paying anyone twenty five grand. That's just insanity uh, to me. I'm in the wrong business, man. My, uh, well, I mean, if you can go, you know, twenty twenty six and zero, was it twenty five and zero, something like that. If you can go undefeated at WrestleMania for that long, you earn twenty five grand. You earn twenty five grand an hour. Wow. And he's really lucky they booked him the way, I mean, that he lost to John Gonzalez, or he won against John Gonzalez by a DQ that one year. What well, makes me wonder, though, in all seriousness, does he show up in garb? Does he actually... Oh, right. Is it Mark Calloway you're booking, or are you booking exactly. the character? Exactly. That's the most important no, part. No, see, yeah, I don't... Yeah, I bet that's more, Patrick. Now you're getting into uh, upper tier levels. I mean, because you, it's just like Sting showing up. Do you get Steve Borden or do you get the guy in face, face paint? paint? Yeah. Do you get red face paint? Do you get white face, black and white face? Do you get surfer face paint? Or do you get Joker face paint from TNA? Like, there's multiple different things in here. Everything has a price. Everything Ted has a DiBiase. price, man. Exactly. No, I bet twenty five grand just gets you Mark Calloway. I bet he doesn't even dye his hair for that. How sad is that to go see Old Man Undertaker? And think about That's the true. think about the crowd you're gonna have to generate to make your money back on that. I mean, dude, that so like... you're gonna have to charge two hundred and fifty dollars and get a hundred people. So you could, I guess, you could cut that in half. Okay, so you it's really not that bad when you break it down because you need two hundred people to pay one hundred and twenty five dollars to meet the. Undertaker. I'm not paying one hundred twenty five dollars to meet the Undertaker. Wow, 
that's big coming from you because I figured you'd say no, no problem. Not paying one hundred twenty five dollars to meet the Undertaker. Well, because we I were... wouldn't pay one hundred twenty five dollars to meet Flair. $125 to meet a, rest, a legend and an autograph is too fucking much. I'm glad you finally put your foot down somewhere. Because, yeah, when we were at WrestleCon for WrestleMania 33, it was like, what, it was uh, Sting, the Hardys, Sean, they were all charging something around there. Like, you were 60, it was $65. Oh, no, it was more for Sting, I remember. Was it? Yeah, okay. I think it was like maybe $150. Yeah. Well, see, and I just couldn't do it. Well, I, that's right, because me and you contemplated for... For Shawn Michaels, and it equaled out to like two hundred bucks a person. At that, that's right. And it, well, like, it was dude, like really expensive, dude. I couldn't. I like I was. And that's on top of just paying to get into the place. Yeah, I I can't I can't do it, man. I can't. Well, it's like Hogan now at his beach shop. A hundred dollars get you one autograph and a picture with him. Oh, I forgot when uh, how much it was. Those probably when he did that thing with Flair, that signing with Flair, and we talked about it on oh here. Oh my and god, it, dude, they were like two hundred and seventy-five dollars or something a ticket. It was unreal. Yeah, and you're not getting an autograph or a picture with them. You're sitting there listening to them talk. Go buy you know merchandise T-shirt to you know remember the event. And that's it. You didn't get to meet them. You didn't get to say hey whatever. You were in a room with them. Yeah, you were in a room with. Them. That's it. I mean, but yeah, that's my thing. Is I feel like. If I'm going to do that, the most I'll do is $65. Okay, well, to get it to that price, Patrick, you're going to need 400 people to get, it to, to get it to $62.50. $62.50. Do you think you can get 400 people and you got to get them through there in an hour? Oh, God, no. You're not getting them through there in an hour. <laughs> well, let's see. There's 60 minutes in an hour divided by 400 people. Okay, so you need... You need a person to get up there and get an autograph in 15 seconds. You're going to have to hurry. Because then they want to ask... You get one question, right? I mean, it's customary. You get one question. Right. Autograph. I've broken this down incorrectly, Patrick, because the picture is separate from the autograph. So that's... I really still only need 200 people. Okay, so here's what you do. $50 for a picture. $50 for an autograph. $85 for both. I love that these discussions actually pro- happen for running wrestling conventions or whatever. I mean, but. it's brilliant, and it's uh, that's that's that is fifty dollars for one autograph and one picture. You can't be taking little Johnny gets his picture, and then I get my picture. One fucking picture. Take the picture, get the hell off the stage. Okay, so let's just average it out and say that the average person spends seventy five dollars because some people will do one and not the other. So okay. let's just say. So then you're going to need, Patrick, you're going to need 333 people in an hour. So you're going to need them to move through in 20 seconds. I wonder if he cuts that in half if you only do like an hour and a half. Yeah, I bet he would do that, but he wouldn't do... Like an hour and 45 minutes. Well, he wouldn't do 30 minutes. Like, you couldn't say, oh, we want you down here for 30 minutes. Like, he's not... Yeah. He's not flying in for 12.5 to do 30 minutes. Right. But I bet he probably, yeah, he would... He would probably he would charge you by the quarter. I bet like like once he sits down, it's probably on you to actually end to like put a stop to the line. Yeah, because he'll just sit there and he he's on he's the clock. Take, yeah, that's true. That's very true. But he'd probably want his money up front because he's no carny. You know, he's been. But in are this you going to be the Are you going to be the asshole that tells, tells these a little fans, kid? You're yeah, too late. Sorry, dude. This is the end of the line. Yeah, 
25 grand for another autograph just so this kid can get through. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm all for making sure the kids get through, but I couldn't be that dick, man. I couldn't. Okay, I've got the best way to utilize him. Okay. okay. All right. Now, we have him go ahead. Do you think? Uh, no, because that counts on the clock, too. I bet. You have him go ahead and pre sign all the pictures. Or you have him pre sign his 8x10s. Okay. And so all he has to write in is if you want your name on the top of it, like that's, to that's, Patrick or that's whatever. That's brilliant. But it's already done. That's brilliant. But see, he would charge you for signing them, or, you know, because got, they got to be authentic, you know. It's true. But then we could just. I would say make it inauthentic and say, just print a bunch of signatures on there or whatever. Just don't even like just look like you're like a magic trick, you know? Like look like you're signing it and he, it's already. He has a very unique, weird autograph, by the way. Doesn't he do the taker symbol like on it? He does the little in, T in, in the, the X. T. Yeah, in the T, and so it's very it's it's time consuming as well. Of course, yeah. And <laughs> and so... his name isn't like Big E. It's, you know, it's Undertaker and the you and the... But he puts a lot of effort into making sure, it, you know, it's very legible. And he's, I mean, he's a very nice guy to meet. And he's very... If I was getting paid that much, Patrick, I would be a really nice guy, well, I'm too. just saying, even back then, though, when, you know, I was 16 or whatever. It's weird that they have no plans for him at WrestleMania because... We saw what he did last year, two minutes with Cena. I mean, that was fine. People enjoy seeing it. It's part of WrestleMania lore. And if he doesn't show up to this one, this will be the first one he missed since WrestleMania 2000. And if Hunter stays injured, which the reports this week were that Hunter's not going to be cleared by WrestleMania, it's the first one that Hunter's missed uh, since... 23 or 24. Oh, yeah, it's Donald Trump year. It was 23. It's 23, yeah. Yeah. So the first one he's missed since 23, since WrestleMania 12, his streak, basically. Uh, so two guys that are just staples of WrestleMania not being there is kind of crazy. Triple to H's me. WrestleMania win-loss record is not as good as Undertaker's, but... I kind of think it's Hunter's goal to have more WrestleMania matches than Taker, which at this rate he might be able to beat... But if he might already passed it or getting damn close to it. So we're coming up to WrestleMania 35. He's been in every WrestleMania except one since 12. So uh, that's 23. So he's been in 22. So he's getting close. He's getting close, man. And he's younger than Taker by like four or five years. So he could maybe do it one day. But yeah, he'll never... The win-loss record, it's gone. I mean... Well, he's going to hit that that 17-time champion before it's all said and done, I think, also. Orton and Cena and Triple H, I think that's how the, the 17th reign is decided. Is Please, for the love of God, tell me Ric Flair is the, the referee. I mean, he's not going to be able to referee, but that... Oh, they're having a uh, 70th birthday for him on Raw here in a couple weeks, so... But legendary booking-wise... If you had Flair as a referee, too, that'd be great. No, I don't want Flair to be anywhere near that match. I don't really? want to see, No, I don't want to see Nature Boy have his fake record broken. I can't have that. Put his ass out there at ringside and let him do commentary for No, it. I don't want to see Ric Flair cry or congratulate someone else. I don't want to see I don't want to see a passing of the torch. Why not? Cuz this he should never have to do that because he is fucking rick flair that is true yeah rick flair the true. character rick flair would never do that that's very true the character rick flair would take out nucks out of his pocket sucker sock the punch guy. the shit out of him yeah and just dq them or well yeah get the match thrown out so that his record never gets broken but 
Uh, that's very true. But no, I found it interesting because then people were like, "Oh my God, did he? Does he not work for WWE? He's anymore? going to AEW." Yeah, man. and I was like, "No, the listen. Just because he is now allowed to do this does not mean that he is." No, they do that with other people like Mick Foley, where he is not under any sort of restriction or like Jim Ross can show up at WrestleCon and like Shawn Michaels and they Flair. Yeah. A lot of these guys Steamboat. take independent dates yeah. and convention circuit stuff. And so Undertaker is probably like, well, I, I want a cut of that, you know, like yeah. what am I doing? You know, I, I'm just sitting at home most of the time. I could be out here making some money. So I think that's the only thing to really read into that. I don't think it means necessarily a Hall of Fame induction. We talked about this right before we came on the air, but Hall of Fame tickets have already gone on sale, Patrick, without a single person being announced, though the first inductees rumored to be are the original Hart Foundation with Jimmy, Brett, which would make them two-time inductees, along with Ric Flair. So Jimmy Hart is some way on the same level as Ric Flair in pro wrestling history. Now, he did do a lot of theme songs and stuff, but that doesn't... I Anyway, the Hall of Fame is stupid. Why am I even talking about this? But anyway, Neidhart would be the the main point of well, that Well, I, I feel like, personally, Neidhart does need to be in the Hall of Fame. Well, I just think you induct him as an individual. I don't yeah. like the idea of multiple two-time inductees just to fill... Well, it's like Hogan, and you know they're going to the NWO. Do. Yeah, Hogan, Hall, Nash still hasn't. Nash is in. Nash is in. Yeah. No, they're all in. So, yeah, so they're NWO. all two-timers. Yeah. yeah. They would be. To me, like if you have to start doing that kind of stuff... You're hurting. Well, you're hurting. Just every year doesn't have to have a Hall of Fame, Patrick. Like yeah. If you have no legitimate people this year that you want to do or you can't get, yeah, then just don't have one. Or yeah. just have... Just do a, a network special and have, a, you know, like those... What's it called? Like the vintage wing or whatever, that where they have the black and white, like, or just do a network special where, you know, you learn about people that you might not know of one year when you don't have any, you know, modern day people that you want to put in there that can show up. Like, yeah. I just think it's it's sort of like filling out all star rosters in like baseball and football games and stuff like that. It's like okay, well, we'd really like Tom Brady to come be our quarterback for the uh, Pro Bowl. Oh, he said no? Okay, well, we'll we'll ask this person. Oh, he said no too? Okay, we'll have someone else. Are we really getting an all-star game at that point? If you're, It's it's like, are we really getting a Hall of Fame if we're down to, when do you start inducting, like, Angles? When does, like, Kurt Angle's milk truck or, like, Steve Austin's beer truck go in the Hall of Fame? Like, or Vince McMahon's exploding limo, you know, just random stuff is, you know, I just... Guys, if you don't have enough people, it's okay. No one... This is a tough business. But there is people out there that deserve it that, that unfortunately don't get the credit that they should be And have them. unfortunately passed away, and they missed their opportunity to give yeah. their speech in person. Yeah. So that's a real bummer, and there's yeah. no way to redo that. And, and my whole... I mean, I've, I'll say it till the day I die. When you'll be inducted into the Hall of Fame, of course. <laughs> Probably. But, uh... Ivan Koloff should have gone in before he passed away. Yeah, uh, you could put Nikita in there. You could put both the Koloffs. That way someone can give the speech for him at this point. But yeah, he should have been in before he passed. He was at the Hall of Fame ceremonies before. And and was under a Legends contract, just wasn't in the Hall of Fame. Vader? Oh, God, yeah. Vader should have. Bigelow, I mean, 
I'm not saying he'd have made it in time, but still is someone who does deserve the the credit. I kind of thought like Luna Vachon. I mean, yeah. When you talk about people that passed away after they had brought back the Hall of Fame in like 2004 or whatever, that they right. just they missed the boat on. The they thing- had no way of knowing that you know that those people are going to pass away or whatever right. but get on with it you know uh there's great people out there uh, listen i like kurt angle i really do kurt's an awesome guy that was nothing more than a fucking storyline to get his in-ring comeback oh well yeah i mean but if you look the last few years i mean like goldberg mark henry i mean come on guys but i'm just saying like that's a spot. Rikishi has a spot in the Hall of Fame. That's that's a spot for someone who truly deserves it. And I'm not saying Kurt Angle doesn't. And why it. not put a priority on elderly right. people? Right. Or people that are in poor health. When Vader says I got 2 years to live or when he yeah, when he was giving the uh, induction speech for, for Stan uh, Hansen. Yeah, when he was yeah, when he was introing Stan Hansen, he basically said I want to be in the Hall of Fame. And you just, you didn't listen. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. I mean, it just... Every year, yeah. And don't get me started on the, the Warrior Award stuff, but that's something I feel like should be taught. Well, obviously, I go in first as the very first referee. <laughs> but after me... Yeah, you're going to jump Earl Hebner. You're after gonna... me, though, the likes of Earl Hebner, Nick Patrick, and Mike Chioda, Little Nate, that kind of thing, Charles Robinson... The behind-the-scenes guys like Jim Johnston, I think, deserve to have their name edged in in there for the for the credit and the hard work that they did to perform, whether it's in front of the camera or behind the camera. I, I feel like those guys need to be... How about instead of one year doing a ceremony, how about one year you build the Hall of Fame, build an actual Hall of Fame somewhere and just yeah have a network special where you open it? Yeah. <laughs> so there's an actual place to go and see all this stuff. Like, yeah. We'll have plenty of time to talk about Hall of Fame as the uh, inductees are actually announced. Because, like I said, they've already put tickets on sale for this thing and they haven't announced a single entry. I feel like we're going to start seeing it here in another week or two. Definitely. Usually it's already done by now. Usually yeah. January, Rumble time. Uh, right after that, they've already... We're starting with names, yeah. So... Sooner than later, we will find out who we can complain about this year. (laughs) Uh, This week was my pick, and I decided to pick a random ECW show. And we had done the previous two in 1997, so this completes the trifecta, the three pay-per-views that ECW ran in 1997, with November to Remember. Not a December to Dismember. No, that was awful, and that was many years later. This was November to Remember. It's November 30th, 1997, your birthday. Uh, uh, You weren't born in 1997. How old would you have been turning in 97? Turning nine. Yeah, so your ninth birthday. I don't think you were watching this show live. I doubt that this was uh, ordered in the Patrick Young household. I'm pretty sure I would have been told no even if I asked I think so, too. We're in Manaka, Pennsylvania at the Golden Dome in front of a record for ECW. Oh, man. 4,634 people. Their largest crowd ever, which they would boast about. Most promotions would uh, 
not brag about 4,000 some odd people, but ECW very happy to have them as they are in a suburb of Pittsburgh. That's what they really wanted you to know is that, hey, we're close to Pittsburgh. So they had taken the show on the road. They weren't in Philly and they weren't in Tampa like they were for the last pay-per-view, which that was only in front of like 1,200 people, if I recall, the one that Jerry Lawler showed up to. So, Joey Styles is in the ring and he welcomes us to the show. It's the largest crowd in ECW history, and he promises a November to remember, which is a promise he can keep because that's the name of the show and we're about to see it, so he can deliver on that promise. Will we remember it? No. I highly doubt I'll remember anything from this pay-per-view. Why is that? Because uh, it's awful. Uh, the ECW theme plays with those typical ECW highlights and a few added on with... Uh, Bam Bam winning his ECW belt at the end there. Bob Artis is the ring announcer and announces the opening match as a wonderfully molded Tommy Rogers comes to the ring, formerly of the Fantastics, which you just brought up last week. I did. Yeah, and uh, so we saw the other half of the Fantastics this week. Not Bobby Fulton, but Tommy Rogers. Unfortunately, little side note here, Tommy Rogers passed away only just uh, two years ago. Four years ago, 2015. It's already been... Wow, it's been four years. Holy shit, time has flown. Yeah, Tommy Rogers passed away in 2015. Uh, he was living in Honolulu and uh, passed away. His yeah. opponent also passed away. The Unfortunately, the body count on this show, very, very high. Uh, lots of uh, deceased wrestlers. This man should be in the Hall of Fame. Don't think they're going to have Tammy up there accepting uh, No, his, but they uh, could put somebody else. Chris Candido. We no get, gimmicks, Chris Candido. And no gimmicks needed, which is, like I said, a gimmick in itself. So <laughs> it's kind of misleading. Uh, we get a very slow start here between these two. They just pace around the ring. Rogers, he goes right to an arm bar, which this ECW crowd not going to accept that. So we get boring chants from the crowd. Candido misses an enziguri, so Rogers hits one of his own but misses a baseball slide. The crowd is getting restless between these two. They want some action here, guys. Come on. Rogers crotches Candido on the post, follows with an atomic drop, and then clotheslines him. Rogers then suplexes Candido to the floor, which Candido would take this spot a lot, but this time he landed on his feet first, at least, so he didn't take it directly onto the concrete floor, which was covered with a tarp, though, Patrick, so it, it, did, have, it did have some nice give there, so you had that nice... Thin layer of tarp. Tiny, tiny bit. Uh, Rogers slaps on the camel clutch when they get in the ring. Candido lifts him into an electric chair position, and Rogers' hurricane run is out of it. Candido power slams Rogers after a brief strike exchange. Candido hits a delayed vertical suplex to Rogers, a second rope leg drop. Then Candido does some Ric Flair chops to Rogers, which gets woo chance, and then he plays it up and struts for a second before giving the crowd like the thumbs down, like, oh yeah, fuck Ric Flair. Yep. But then Rogers lights him up with chops, which he gets the lose going right back again. He posts Chris Candido and goes for a superplex and nails it. Then he goes to the turnbuckle himself, but gets punched off the post, falls to the floor, ouch, from Chris Candido. Then he brings him back into the top of the turnbuckle and hits a Frankensteiner, which gets an earfall. Candido tries a flying Hurricane Rana from the top. Rogers changes it into a sit-out powerbomb. But then Landstorm runs in and hits a spinning heel kick to Rogers and helps Candido, puts the boot to Rogers. Jerry Lynn comes in to help Rogers out and takes out Storm and Candido. Candido then hits a plancha from the buckles to Storm and Lynn. Then Rogers does the same. And then referee John Finnegan decides to change this match mid-match. He grabs the camera, looks directly at it, and says, Okay, this is a tag match now. So we have changed... Forget what you saw. Why did we even start with a singles match? I don't know. 
Why couldn't we have just had a tag match all the time? I don't know. This is ECW and the booking here. It's a great way to extend a match and make a ma- one match longer. It is, but it sucks. I just hate it. Like, I was telling you before we went on the air, I love Paul Heyman, and I give him all the credit in the world. I think he's a brilliant mind. He's, like, right up there with Jim Cornette. Brilliant minds in wrestling that don't really get their proper shake as far as, like, with the WWE. But this guy does not know how to structure matches as far as psychology, storytelling, uh, maximum use of weaponry, big spots, big endings, no when to go home. Paul Heyman has none of that. And my theory to you is that he tells those guys, do come up with it yourselves. And he has no... He never interjects and says... We need to do it this way because this way is better. It's just, I mean, he, he's a brilliant mind. He's a brilliant mouthpiece. But yeah, when it comes to in-ring stuff, probably not the best. But, I mean... So now this is a tag match, which is ZCW, so tags don't matter. So everything's tornado tag. Right. Lynn eats an assisted power bomb from Storm and Lynn, almost like a shield power bomb. Storm missile drop kicks. Candido by mistake, and Rogers rolls him up for a near fall. Rogers puts Storm on his shoulders, and Lynn hits a crossbody from the turnbuckle for a near fall. Then Candido goes for the blonde bombshell and hits it on Jerry Lynn, but Rogers makes a save before he can get the win. Rogers hits the unprettier, or a Tamakazi as it's called, to Lance Storm that takes him out. Then Chris Candido hits a bridging Northern Light suplex. That's right to Tommy Rogers and gets the win. One, two, three. That's right. I know we had bigger spots earlier, Patrick, but this, Bridging Northern Lights, this is how we end the match. Well, I mean, it is a very impressive move. It looked great. It did. And in any other, look, if that was the biggest move they did in the match, I'd say that's acceptable because when Mr. Perfect hits the perfect plex, a fisherman suplex isn't really that great of a move. But if you make it the greatest move in the match... People say, holy shit, that was awesome. Yeah. If this was the greatest move in this match, I'd say, that was awesome. But they did double team moves earlier that were much cooler than this. Well, I mean, you're suplexing the man to the floor, so... Uh, yeah. And also, his finisher is awesome. That The blonde bombshell, very dangerous. It uh, really is. Uh, super scary <laughs> yes. power bomb from the top turnbuckle. You teased it, and then you didn't deliver it. Yeah. Which sucks. You should never... That, I hate that in wrestling. It's just like what I hate about that uh, Armageddon Hell in a Cell when they were all up there and no one really went. I mean, I know Rikishi fell into the hay, but like, <laughs> you can't go up there and then just climb back down. You can't do it. So, you can't well, t- And Taker didn't like just pick him up either. He just shoved him. Right. But you had like Austin and Rock go up there and it's like, boys, what are you doing up here? You're not going off the side. So, anyway. Well, not everybody's like Foley and willing to. Fly. I know, so then don't go up there. <laughs> it's I know my limitations. That's why Vince McMahon is a great street fighter. He knows his limitations. That's true. He didn't try. He doesn't try to do anything. You know, he doesn't try to do a shooting star press. He doesn't try to do insane stuff. You know, like Yeah, he doesn't try to throw fireballs because yeah. Vince McMahon would have he'd a Hulk light, Hogan moment. Yeah, and, he'd light himself on fire. So just know what you're good at. Don't tease moves you're not gonna do. Even if you're a heel, crowds yeah. hate that. And I just, I hate the match. That's my complaint all night. And it starts with match one. As, uh, that's it. Candido. Candido, though, has the gall at the end of this match to hold up a sign that says Showstopper. Uh, yeah. 
I think he did stop the show. It came to a complete halt because I was like, we've lost all our momentum. Uh, by the way, this pay-per-view after the, the Montreal Screwjob and uh, Survivor Series 97. So in terms of pay-per-views from November 97, I think this one ranks third out of the big three that <laughs> happened uh, in November of that year. What happened in WCW? World War Three. World War Three. Yeah, that was a week before this pay-per-view. It was World War Three, and that was when Scott Hall won. Well, that's what, yeah, Hall wins. And, of course... Goes to challenge Hogan for the title and never, never happened. I think he eventually got his shot, but it was on, like, Nitro or something. And, of course, Survivor Series, it happened November 9th in 1997 so uh ecw not really on the uh pulse of the wrestling world at this time i know it was a november to remember but not for ecw we go to a highlight video and by the way the network does ecw no justice on their pay-per-views because they dub over all their music because ecw liked to play copyrighted music they didn't uh care no i don't know how he got away with that either uh, because it wasn't so strict back in the day. When record companies were making a lot of money, when people were still buying CDs and not just streaming it from YouTube or stealing it from Napster or whatever they were doing, when the record companies were making money, I don't think they cared. But, man, when they stopped making money, that's when they cracked down. Like yeah. They'll even go into bars and restaurants, and if you have like Pandora playing, they'll send you like a cease and desist order in the mail and say, you need to pay up, you need to pay... A different fee because you're a restaurant or a bar or whatever. Now you can have the radio on for some reason, but you can't have Spotify on in your restaurant or whatever. So, uh, yeah, they really cracked down on uh, copyrighted music and using it and stuff. So it's just a. If they were still selling records, I don't think they'd care. And I think that's what Paul Heyman figured too. Is like by me playing this song, all I'm doing is helping sell this music or whatever whereas now if i played it oh now i'm um, encouraging people to just stream it for free somewhere so we go to a highlight video that has dubbed over music featuring mikey whipwreck and just incredible so that's the match we have coming up next i suppose jason the sexiest man on earth is out next with just incredible credible is coming off a win of the great sasuke on an episode of hardcore tv and mikey whipwreck is the only Triple Crown winner in ECW. He's their Shawn Michaels. And he beat none other than Steve Austin. With a whippersnapper, probably. It was. Gave him a little idea. It was. On the way out the door. He'll be Just Incredible's opponent, so naturally we get Fuck You Aldo chants from this crowd who hate Just Incredible and his (laughs) former character. Aldo Montoya. Yes, the man with the diaper on his head. Whipwreck knocks Credible out of the ring and hits a plancha to him. Then we get a Hurricane Rana to Just Incredible out on the floor, a DDT to Mikey when they get back in the ring. Incredible hits a missile drop kick for a near fall. Jason, for some reason, clotheslines Mikey behind the ref's back, even though rules don't count in ECW, but whatever. Whipwreck tries to fire up on Justin but has no luck. Credible hits a sunset flip from the buckles on Whipwreck for a near fall. Then Credible locks on a headlock for ages. He eats a super kick from Whipwreck and then gets placed on the buckle. Whipwreck hits a Frankensteiner for a near fall. Then he brings Jason into the ring and low blows him. But then Justin Credible hits the Scorpion Death Drop to Mikey Whipwreck for a near fall. Jason gets whipped into Credible, who was trying something off the top turnbuckle. 
Then Whipwreck goes to the top turnbuckle, hits a whippersnapper off the top, which ends Just Incredible's winning streak in ECW as once again Mikey Whipwreck has overcome the odds. This guy that gives hope to anybody that looks like us that you can get in the ring with a t-shirt, shorts, and tights on and make make some magic happen in there. This might have been my match of the night, Patrick, honestly. This yeah. might be my match of the night. Because it built to something, yes. uh, which Mikey Whipwreck was on the defense most of the time, but that was his gimmick, was that he always uh, got his ass kicked for 90% of the match. But it built up to a super move that won the match. Very rare in ECW when a super move just ends the match. It was an awesome move, by the way, too. And especially to have him go over Just Incredible, who they were really pushing at the time, and continued to push after this is quite notable i mean uh it's not taz beating kurt angle in wwf but it's it's notable mikey whipwreck for anybody who doesn't really know the backstory was a fan of ecw and he kept sticking around and sticking around and sticking around till finally he just annoyed the shit out of him and be like hey can i help take down the ring and then it came to hey i'll come in early and help set it up then it came to, hey, I'll do it, but will you let me run the ropes? You let me bump around in there for an hour or two before we start the, you know, the show. And it just, he really worked his way up from nothing but a fan to becoming one of HCW's greatest of all time. A legend, I mean, and turned up in the WWE version of yeah. ECW. And, uh, I mean, his original push was i mean mick foley had a lot to do with that with uh cactus jack pairing with uh, him as a tag team and winning the tag team belts or whatever so uh, another guy that mick foley helped out in his uh rise to not the top i wouldn't say i wouldn't say mikey whipwreck is amongst do you think mikey whipwreck's a candidate for the wwe hall of fame absolutely (laughs) i wouldn't go that far no, I would because they're all about giving people hope. This is that's the perfect guy. He's almost a warrior award candidate. I, I mean, am I wrong? That is the perfect candidate for for young kids to give them hope. Anybody can do this. There you go. You just got to be persistent. Think of Ralphus. For the love of God, all he did was drive a truck. Next thing you know, he's being a part of the payroll and being on a... Jericho's right-hand Jericho's man. Jericho's right-hand man, so... We go backstage in a scene that had nothing to do with the rest of the night as Al Snow from the WWF in his job squad gear is in most of the BWO's locker room as uh, we get a lot of Blue Meanie in the background taking his shirt off and putting it back on and no taking it off. No trying to paint his face. Yeah, so he's with the BWO minus Stevie Richards, and uh, Al Snow blames Head for every everything that's gone wrong in his career, and he blames Head for telling everyone that he's hurt and that he couldn't work this show tonight, and he accuses Head of calling Eric Bischoff and begging for a job, which I don't think Eric Bischoff had Al Snow on his radar at all, unfortunately. No. Uh, I think this is a bit of kayfabe here. That's it! This was all Al Snow did tonight. Yep. He hopefully this was taped in advance, and they just happened to play it. Yeah, hopefully they didn't actually pay for him to stop by and stay in the back and cut a promo and go home. Well, I guess they wouldn't be paying him. I guess Vince would be paying him since this was a partnership here. Joey then tosses to a video package, which is cut entirely from the network. So it really sucks the network version because Joey's like, "All right, take a look at this," and then we just go to the match. 
It's the ECW TV title match in Pitbull number two. That's right. A, t- a great name for a wrestler, huh? Uh, you're Road Warrior number two. Yeah. We're just not going to give you your own nope. name. Now, Pit- Vin- yeah, Pitbull Gary Wolf. Right. And Pitbull number two. <laughs> Awful. Why would you, and especially number two, given the connotation, because when you say, I'm going to go take a number two. It's true. You would never want that as part of your name. He's going to take on Taz, the TV champion. This TV belt, beautiful, by the way. It reminds me a lot of the Winged Eagle belt. Yes. Why does it do that, Patrick? Because it is. <laughs> oh, that's right. It is just a Winged Eagle belt that has ECW taped over it. Stamped, stamped on it, yeah. Paul Heyman, for some reason. Now, only this match he seemed to care about uh, to join Joey Styles on commentary. Only this match needed Paul Heyman's voice. So he joins in, but he doesn't really add that much. Pitbull jumps Taz to the bell and power bombs him. He hits a diving shoulder tackle for a near fall, but then Taz becomes Taz and hits a belly-to-belly, a T-bone suplex, and a Taz mission. And Pitbull 2 taps out in about two minutes. That's not good enough. Uh, Pitbull 1, Gary, there, uh, gets a pump handle suplex from Taz. Then Taz grabs the mic. He makes fun of the guy that Mr. Wright, the Pitbull's manager, brought out with him. It's Brockus from the WWF. And if you're not familiar with Brockus, here is a Brockus coming soon promo. My name is Brockus. And I come from Deutschland. My Gewicht is 300 Pfund. And when I come to America, to the World Wrestling Federation, and Hunter Ernst Hensley in the ring, I will destroy him. Taz, very taboo here. He says, whoever that guy is, whoever that asshole is, he takes needles in his ass. And he's Vince's boy. And Brockus then takes his shirt off and holy shit, Taz was right. This motherfucker was so jacked. He looked right out of the World Bodybuilding Federation. Swear to God. I thought it was Gary Stridham at first. Yes. He I'll was... stick Lou Ferrigno, actually, because he was still, like, jacked. This dude is huge. This guy was massive. Arnold Schwarzenegger had nothing on this man. No. And uh, what's funny about old Brockus here, his most famous moment in the WWF was during the Brawl for All tournament, and he got his ass kicked because he had no... Obviously, uh, Patrick, when you're that bulky, don't have a lot of cardio. And they were... I think they were two-minute rounds or something like that. And by the second round... He was just huffing and puffing, and he got laid laid the fuck out. So, Brockus is a chicken shit, doesn't get into the ring, and instead Taz beats up a security guy. Yes. And puts him in a Taz mission. Okay. Great. Thanks. This went nowhere. I mean, I don't... Unless they had a TV match, maybe. uh, I don't know. Did he ever even have a match in ACW? I'm not sure about that. He barely had any matches in the WWF. I think this is a one and done. I don't think he even showed back up. They show the highlight of Spike Dudley being tossed into the crowd by Bam Bam Bigelow, crowd surfing his way back into the ring, and then, of course, losing the match. Because that's what happens in ECW. Well, we've seen Bigelow and Spike, and just how crazy those two can get. Spike had his skull practically crushed in, and then gets body surfed. Yeah. Well, the one we watched of him, the one that the last pay-per-view we watched uh, was the one that Lawler showed up to, the one before this, yeah. where he didn't crowd surf his way back in, Patrick. He 
barely made it back into the ring, and he was bleeding like a stuck. That's what pig. I said. Yeah, yeah got it. Practically got his skull crushed in. Bigelow just dropped him right there, face first on the. Yeah, hardcore heaven '97. Uh, yeah, very... face first on the. Um, the post. The, the ring post. The very top. Yeah. Then we go to a Bam Bam highlight video of him winning the belt with Rick Rude's help at the Hammerstein Ballroom. As uh, this would be probably the last time they showed Rick Rude because he was done. He was in WCW. Showed yeah. up after the Montreal screw job. The FBI. We need to do that. The we'll double see. Rick Rude night. All three. That the Rick Rude week. Do Nitro, Raw, and his his. ECW. The only man to ever be a part of all three companies in one week. Their weekly TV. Yeah. And uh, I was very confused as a kid because I didn't realize that Raw was taped or whatever. And I was like, how is he in two places? <laughs> I know, yeah, I was too. The FBI is out at the ringside area screaming fuck you to the crowd. That's right. The FBI consisting of uh, one Italian here uh, and then two there are, southern boys There here. are three... There, there's one northern Italian and two southern Italians. Very southern. As, and uh, the wild-eyed southern boy Tracy Smothers. Yes. And former NWA heavyweight champion, Wildfire Tommy Rich. Yeah. And Tommy Rich made no attempt to speak in an Italian accent or anything. Not a fucking bit. As he's just screaming in his southern drawl here at the crowd to start the match. It's a four-way dance of death. Yes, this is ECW, of course. Not just a four-way match, a, a dance of death for the tag belts. Devon is ready for Brother Gertner to testify, but fuck you, Devon chants drown him out. Joel Gertner says, well, well, well. <laughs> just like the Rubik's Cube, the more you play with it, the harder it gets, Patrick. That's, that's very true. That's what I learned. That's and he true. says he's Joel hurting her Gertner. And, uh... <laughs> Gertner introduces all the Dudleys, and this is how they fill time on an ECW Sign Guy Dudley got an introduction. Yes, and and he's not a part of the match. And Big Dick gets an intro. He's not a part of the match. Well, he gets involved at least, yeah. but still. Oh yeah, Sign Guy didn't do shit. He doesn't do shit. But it, I swear it takes Joel Gertner five minutes to introduce four people. Dude, Devon got the fucking like, Mike Tyson entrance. Gertner's not, you know, Gertner's going to earn his paycheck. You should tonight. really put his entire thing on it. It takes forever. It would take most of this review. <laughs> Balls Mahoney and Axel Rotten start the match with chair shots for everyone before the Gangstonators can even join the match, which, the strategy here, Patrick, okay, it's four-way elimination. Correct. They seem to start the match without you being in it, so why not just wait until there's one team left before you run down? To join this match. Because New Jack and Cronus did not think this through very well. Well, I mean, probably New Jack had a car waiting on him and had to get in there and get back out. And... That's true. He had somewhere to be. <laughs> that or he had people looking for him. Yeah, he's, there was of, probably a warrant out for his couple arrest. Of, couple of, hey, listen, Jeremy Young, if you don't know is his real name, New Jack is a great guy. No, he is not. He I is really like New Jack. He's the first one to tell you he did a lot of shit. <laughs> a lot of shit. Yeah, he's sketchy. <laughs> I don't like this guy. 
So anyway, Rotten and Balls Suplex Bubba, who was billed at 350 and looked every bit of it here. It's amazing how much weight Bubba lost over the years. Cause That's true. He's a massive He's like a man. super heavyweight. Yeah, dude, he is. Spinebuster elbow combination to Guido from Rotten and Balls. Smothers gets a leg drop from Balls. Tommy Rich dodges a chair. And Big Dick choke slams Axel Rotten. Then Tommy Rich dodges another chair shot. And Bubba Simone drops Balls Mahoney. Then the FBI hit a rocket launcher to Axel Rotten, but only get a two count. Bubba superplexes Balls Mahoney, and Devon hits a diving headbutt. Then, oh, in the ghetto, the dubbed over New Jack music hits. And the Dudleys just stand around and wait for the Gangstonators here, which is the combination of the Gangsters and the Eliminators, as Cronus was without Saturn, who had jumped ship. And New Jack's partner was injured, I believe. So that is how we got the gangstonators here. New Jack hits Smothers with a pair of crutches. He hits Bubba with one. He, he hits Smothers with a mailbox. Bubba cheese grates Axel Rotten's face. Joey Styles can't keep up as it's just a giant brawl in the ring. Guido gets dumped to the concrete by Devon. Cronus hits a spinning heel kick to Devon. Big Dick comes in and misses a moonsault to Cronus. Big Dick then choke slams him but gets laid out with a guitar shot. From New Jack to ECW Chance. Cronus hits a 450 to Big Dick Dudley, but he's not legal in this match, so his cover doesn't count. Bubba hits a giant plancha to everyone on the outside to ECW Chance. The New Jack wants to dive on the crowd with a guitar, but Tommy Rich ends up eating it instead from the turnbuckle. Tommy Rich taking a guitar shot from the buckle from New Jack. Cronus gets hit with the Italian flag and gets a cutter from Bubba, and the Gangstonators are done. And what's hilarious is when they're eliminated, as soon as that three hit comes down, the music stops. It was a four is... count. Have you, do you realize that? No, I didn't The referee fucked up and it was a four count. Well, that's even better than a three yes. count. Bubba chucks Guido into the turnbuckle, Balls super kicks Devon, then heel kicks Devon and himself to the outside very slowly. Balls Mahoney not going to do this uh, crazy move too fast as they could glide to the floor Bubba Bomb attempt but Gertner throws freedom powder only it hits Bubba in the face accidentally and he accidentally 3D's Devon with Balls Mahoney's help and the Dudleys are eliminated due to their own incompetence it's yes. the FBI versus Balls and Axel Rot and FBI by the way are the champs coming into the match Axel hits some American Dream elbows to Tracy Smothers and Guido Rotten hits a shitty version of the curtain call to Guido, which looked awful. Nearly dumped him on his head. Finnegan takes a ref bump, and Balls hits the nutcracker sweet to Guido, but then evil ref Jeff Jones comes in and quits counting to check on his friend, John Finnegan. Jeff Jones, the referee, then kicks Balls Mahoney in the balls, which you'd think he'd be impervious to pain there, but he's not. And the FBI escape with their ECW tag belts as Guido rolls him up, and Jeff Jones does the fast count. So we have an evil ref in ECW, we have an evil ref in WCW, and we have an evil boss in WWF. So yep. you can take your pick. We've we've all got evil uh, officiating going on here. Uh, this match was just chaos. The crowd loved it because it's that's what it's the great. just garbage brawl. It's great. And usually they close the match with these garbage brawls. It was so. a garbage brawl, and. Start off as like an entertaining match. New Jack comes out and Coronas, and then the, sh the plunder comes out. Shit hits the fan, and just it made it so much more entertaining and it made it fun. 
It's hard to believe that this match is actually as long as it is because it went by very quickly. Yeah, I think this is a match that's better suited for a live crowd than watching it back on tape, especially years later. If I was watching it live, maybe it would be a little bit better, but I think this is something that a live crowd would enjoy a lot better than a TV crowd just because there's always there's so much stuff to focus on and yeah. so much stuff to... You don't know where to direct your attention, so there's always something going on, so... Well, that's the thing, is you cut to two people randomly, and you're missing what the other six people are doing, so it's hard to... Yeah, and ECW's limited uh, camera capabilities as well, you're going to uh, miss some action. This was fine, this was standard ECW fare, like, I... There's always a spot on their cards for Garbage Brawl, so... No big deal. I'm glad this wasn't the main event, but maybe I would have swapped it with the main event based on how I thought the main event played out, but anyway... Tommy Dreamer and Beulah come to the arena, and Dreamer says he shouldn't be here, he's hurt. Rob Van Dam is better than he is, but he has to defend his home, ECW. He says, Rob, you're going to feel what the revolution is all about. They show another music video recap that's dubbed over of RVD and Dreamer's rivalry. Uh, the rivalry is this, RVD wants to work for the WWF, and Tommy Dreamer Done. doesn't. That's Yeah, that's it. That's uh, it. Mr. Monday Night, he hates ECW. He thinks he's better than ECW. He had worked for WWF back in the day. And, he, and WCW. He had. But he's he's absolutely right, which makes the gimmick even better, is that he is too good for ECW. He's too talented to be there. That's, which, that he really That's was. what gives it credibility and makes him... And to this crowd, it makes him a great heel. Also, his moveset, though, is too... Like, he's, yeah. he's too good to get booed, so it's kind of a mixed bag here of, like... How do, how am I supposed to feel about RVD? His you know? two matches with Jerry Lynn are, I think, some of ECW's best matches of all time. RVD and Fonzie are out next. They pose and take forever to get into the ring. Dreamer and Bueller are out next, and they take equally as long to get into the ring. For this flag versus flag match, no poles, and really no flags. This is a standard match, and the winner gets to simply... Raise their flag. Bring out your flag. Yeah. So... It's the ECW flag in Dreamer's corner versus the WWF flag of RVD's in his corner. RVD hits a corkscrew leg drop and poses, but Dreamer hits a Russian leg sweep. Dreamer goes for the DDT and Van Dam just rolls out of the ring. Dreamer hits a baseball slide, throws RVD into the guardrail and into the crowd. RVD hits a somersaulting senton off the guardrail into Tommy Dreamer who crashes to the floor. Dreamer crotches RVD on the rail, delivers a chair shot to the head, but it was uh, one of those folding chairs, one of those plastic folding chairs. and uh, Those damn things have zero give to them. Well, I was going to say it had a lot of give because he actually hit him with the side that opens the chair up. But in doing this, he somehow cut, sliced RVD's eye open here with this chair. Yeah. So that sucked. And yeah, RVD was really, you could tell this was really bothering him throughout the match, but he just worked around it. It was like right it. there too, man. Yeah. It was like temple to cheekbone. It was very... It was very close to his eye. Very dangerous, actually. RVD hits the Van Daminator to Dreamer, who he crouched on the guardrail. The ref wants to check RVD's eyes, but, you know, RVD's like, oh, that's for pussies, go away. RVD hits a running drop kick with the chair to Tommy in the corner of the ring. RVD then hits a backflip off the buckle and drop kicks the chair right into Tommy's face. Someone here screams, Van Dam's a bitch, during this match. RVD then hits a springboard leg drop for a near fall. Dreamer hits a hangman's neck breaker to RVD for a near fall, which was an awesome looking move. The crowd chants break his neck after that. What a lovely thing to chant. Uh, paralyze this man, please. 
Beulah hands Dreamer a chair and he delivers a running dropkick to RVD who is in the tree of woe. But then Dreamer gets cracked in his bad heel with a chair from Fonzie. Rolling thunder to Dreamer for a near fall. Then a split-legged moonsault is blocked by a chair but RVD just shoves Dreamer into the chair in response. Dreamer hits the DDT as RVD was trying a split-legged moonsault again but Fonzie breaks the count. Fonzie nails the ref with a sign. Then Dreamer chair shots RVD but Jeff Jones... The evil ref is back once again. You would think Paul Heyman would have had him fired on the spot, but no, he's back again. This time he decks Jim Molyneux. Dreamer hits a Van Daminator to RVD, so he hits RVD with his own finisher. A schoolboy, but Jeff Jones attacks John Finnegan with forearm shots. So John Jones, or Jeff Jones is not going to let any ref count the finish of this match, so he attacks John Finnegan with a forearm. Jones wants to fight the other refs, but Beulah low blows him. And the other refs, uh, John and Jim, DDT him. Double DDT. The refs getting some action. You love this, and this was your highlight of the night, right? It's true. Here. It's very true. But then Fonzie just low blows them. Then Beulah low blows him, a pile driver, and Beulah counts the near fall, as now she somehow thinks she's an official in this match. Dreamer DDT's RVD grabs the ECW flag, but then who could it be running from the WWF out here? Who did they send? Shawn Michaels? Did they send Jerry Lawler again? No. Furnace and LaFawn run out, who had done some time in ECW before anyway, so they run out. And Were they done with WWE at this point in time? No, this was their return to ECW. They had this was their they had left. They had WWE. left WWE? Yeah. So this is their re-debut in ECW, but they are, they're part of the WWF baddies in this scenario. Also, apparently Stevie Richards, who had actually left from WCW, uh, is here as well. He runs in and super kicks Tommy Dreamer. Furnace and LaFawn then hold a garbage can over Dreamer, so RVD can hit the five-star frog splash. He does, and then Furnace, LaFawn, and Richards count the three. Fonzie declares Rob Van Dam the winner, and then he displays a giant WWF flag, which is pixelated out on the network, because I guess this was probably on 24-7, so it still has all the WWF stuff edited out. They put Dreamer on a table and cover him in the WWF flag like, like he's in a morgue, and he is being draped with the wrong flag. How dare you? It's very true. Sabu then runs down. And I'm like, oh great, the ECW guy's here to save Tommy Dreamer, even though they hate each other. Nope, he attacks Beulah. Get the fuck out of here, it's time for my match. So then Dreamer covers Beulah as the heels all beat him down. So romantic, Patrick, this covering your gal to take all the shots. It's true. Uh, so what did you think of RVD and Tommy Dreamer? I thought that this match went way too long. And had way too much emphasis on the fact of Tommy, Tommy's foot and all that crap. Oh, he was in a boot. Yeah. Yeah. I actually don't think they focused on the foot enough, really. Really? Uh, other than that chair shot that Fonzie hits him in the boot with, it wasn't, it's not like RVD has some sort of submission, you know, move set or true, like focused but, on the limb. True. But, I mean... Yeah, I think it was just another, it's another case, like I said, the match is just, it doesn't build to anything. There yeah. was no big spot at the end. I guess he does five-star frog splash him through the table. But there's no finish to the match, because it just ends with interference. And see, what I would have done is, drape the flag over him, head up and hit the five-star frog splash on the flag, 
with him underneath it. I'm going to have somehow have Tommy Dreamer eke out a win here for yep. my brand, okay? But then I'll have Rob Van Dam get all the heat. And then I would have loved it if Rob Van Dam, like they do in the Olympics, like draped the flag over his shoulders and like paraded around. But he just used it to cover Dreamer and that was the end of the flag. There wasn't any yeah. thing. Or, or if they had burned the ECW flag in that arena. <laughs> Holy shit. I like that idea. The fans would have jumped the guardrail. That would have been serious, serious Blasphemy. Heat. That would have been serious heat, man. But it's not a real, it's not like a country's flag. It it's doesn't just matter. Like these, as you crazy, know. as crazy though as ECW fans were, oh that shit, oh god. They probably would have gotten in trouble with the fire marshal for doing it actually. But just put a can right outside the ring and poured it some gasoline in there, light a match and just throw it in there. They were probably actually worried about setting like smoke detectors off because I bet, or they could have had a pre-tape where they just... When they leave the ring, when the next match starts, you go back to it later and they burn the flag outside or something. And only the TV viewers get that. The in-ring doesn't, so... That'd probably be safer because... Yeah. I'm not I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that, cra- that crowd would riot. How many fans jumped in the ring and collapsed it once before with... Public Enemy. Public Enemy. But that was in celebration. That was a celebratory. It was, thing. but I'm just saying, you give them a split-second opportunity... They are active as hell. How many chairs got thrown in there to cover Mick Foley when, right, they when think Terry they're part Funk? Of, see, that's the problem when you invite them to be part of the show. They get they think, oh, well, we can just do anything. Yeah. And so, yeah. You're I mean, right. A few of them probably would have jumped the guardrail, yeah. Yeah. They would have had chaos. Yeah. But if this match went on last, <laughs> I might do it. <laughs> that actually is a bad idea. But. Hey, it's November of 97. All the attention's on the WWF. You and have WCW. security, and I mean real security, come out there and and they just get on the mic and they'll be like, listen, we can afford proper security because we're not you know, part of this low rent, terrible, cheap, can't make our rent. EC- oh, that's a good ECW. idea. Walk right out there, burn the flag with security with police. Vince sent the security down there with police all around. You have them. guys like Brockus out there, yeah, with police all around them, and then then actually escort them back to block. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, see, I just booked a better finish to this pay per view. It would have had people talking. We, hey, remember that time they burnt the ECW flag? <laughs> Unfortunately. Uh, if you did that with RVD, you could never make him a babyface again, because people will never forgive that. That's like, you've crossed the line. Like It didn't have to be RVD, it could have been Sabu. It just wouldn't make much sense for Sabu's character, because he just doesn't seem to be interested in any... Could have been Furnace and Lafon then. Oh, yeah. That's great. And then Absolutely. Rob's just, like, standing there. And At- then, then like, later on, when you want to turn Rob baby again, you should be like, listen. He just turns on Furnace and LaFon. Yeah, and be like, I didn't. That was too far. I, I didn't, I didn't, I, I didn't approve that, guys. That was way too far. You shouldn't have done it. So, as the heels and dreamers somehow scraped off, off camera, <laughs> all this, they just disappear. Literally scraped off. Yes. Sandman comes out, and... Again, the network does his his entrance no justice, and we get five minutes of him coming to a dub theme, which I had to skip through. Like, I can't watch this man. His entrance is worse than Taker's, in my opinion, when, when the music's not included. And even with the music, it's like, okay, I get it. Come to the ring already. Sandman comes out, 
and spends five minutes in this small arena just getting in the ring. It's Sabu versus Sandman. It's a tables, ladders, and match match. No chairs. Um, but there would be chairs used in this match. And uh, by the way, their table budget must have sucked. These were the worst Holy tables. Holy shit, I'm glad you said that. Sabu jumps Sandman before he can get in the ring. Once he gets in the ring, he hits a triple jump moonsault and gets a near fall. Sandman slams a ladder in Sabu's face. Sabu gets slung to the outside and gets a ladder thrown in his face from the ring. Sandman just didn't give a fuck. And these were like legit ladders, not those aluminum ones they use in WWE now. No. And Sandman was just flinging them around. Like, because he has no actual talent when it comes to, like, wrestling and high spots and stuff. He can do the somersaulting senton and that's it. So everything else is just him chucking ladders. And that's all he did. He had no regard for safety of fans or Sabu here. Sandman gets whipped into the guardrail. Sabu launches off a chair with a kick to his head. Sandman scoop slams Sabu out on the concrete and then throws a table on him, which breaks the legs of this table, so it's done for. Sandman then places Sabu on a table and ECW's cheap table just breaks from Sabu's weight, not even Sandman's weight. And it was... They kept magically wedging tables between the ring i think the ref would walk around and wedge these tables for him and so sabu goes on the very first one fonzie was out there too i got a feeling he was doing it oh okay yeah that makes sense and uh so the very first one sabu breaks it with his own weight so he takes sabu to another table that's wedged on the opposite side and sabu this time hilariously moves towards the guardrail so that his weight is off the table and more on the guardrail and then, of course, Sandman delivers in his Sandman style and absolutely misses a guillotine leg drop. He was not in the same zip code as Sabu, uh, but went through the table. And luckily for ECW fans at home and ECW fans in the crowd, there were no replays of this because they didn't have the technology to do it. And uh, the fans thought he connected, and that's really all that matters. It's all that matters. Sabu throws Sandman through half of a broken table, and he crashes into the guardrail. Sandman's laid on another wedge table. Sabu hits a leg drop from a chair from the ring, and they both go crashing through the table. Sandman and Sabu brawl in the ring, and Sabu hits some sort of botched-looking springboard heel kick, which looked like shit. Sabu then goes and gets a 16-foot ladder, and he just throws it at Sandman, maybe a receipt from earlier. Oh no, this time it's Sabu that fucks up. Many people in the WWE have done this spot where you ride the ladder. You ride it. Like you tilt ride it over. It down. You ride it down. That's all you gotta do. So Shawn Sab- Michaels did it in WrestleMania 10. <laughs> Climb to the top rope, ride it down. Sabu, though, tries to ride the ladder onto Sandman, who's on a table, but fucks up and just falls off the ladder, and the ladder falls without him, and so nothing happens. And it just bounces off of Sandman and the table, and it looked like shit. Sabu's then placed on a table himself, but Sandman somersaults himself through the table as Sabu moved out of the way. Sabu hits a triple jump corkscrew moonsault onto Sandman, who he had buried in the ring underneath a ladder and a chair, so he did more damage to himself than Sandman. Sabu's in superplex beside a ladder in the ring, not quite on the ladder, but the fans thought he connected, and once again, that's all that matters. Sandman then drunkenly stumbles around into a ladder, and Sabu just rams it into him, and then leg drops him for a near fall. Like, I did not understand what Sandman was doing here. Sabu then does his Abdullah the Butcher tribute spot here, and finds a fork somehow, and just starts stabbing Sandman. 
Yes. And I was thinking, hey, this is a tables and ladders match, guys. We didn't sign up for this. Sandman just shoves him out of the ring and chucks a ladder at him again. Sandman does a teeter-totter spot with the ladder that sucks. Okay, so this is how he did this. He puts the ladder in the crowd, and he leans it against the guardrail, and Sabu's out on the floor. Or no, Sabu's on a table. And so Sandman goes into the ring, and I'm thinking, like, what the fuck is he going to do here? He is too fat to make it over to that ladder. And even if he does, what can he do? He, what is he trying here? So here's what Sandman comes up with. The brilliant Sandman. He jumps from the ring and just grabs the ladder that's barely grabs a hold of it that's in the crowd. But when he grabs it, he doesn't have enough force to bring it over and onto Sabu. He has no control over it. Nope. So he totally misses and the ladder just goes nowhere and it looks totally awful. It's one of the dumbest spots I've ever seen anyone try to do like I can't describe... I don't understand what he's trying to do. I I don't either. Sandman then just goes to the old reliable somersaulting senton onto Sabu, who is buried under a ladder. Then Sandman does one from the apron. Then he stops a Hurricane Rana attempt with an electric chair drop, then drags Sabu out onto another cheap table that is buckling under Sabu's weight again, so Sandman better hurry up, because Sabu's not going to last very long on this thing. Sandman climbs a ladder and does, guess what, a somersaulting senton onto the table and Sabu. Fonzie brings a kendo stick to the ring, distracts Sandman, who Sabu then throws fire in the face of, just like his uh, uncle, the original Sheik, used to do back in the day. But Sandman dodged it, apparently, even though it didn't look like he dodged it. It got way closer than Hogan's did at Halloween Havoc 98. He grabs Fonzie... But Sabu just kicks him away. Sandman ends up on another table, and Sabu drops through him with a ladder. Sabu hits the Arabian face buster with a ladder and wins the match. And there you go. We watch replays as Sandman gets a nice round of applause as he scrapes himself up. Uh, But this match went on way, way too long. Oh my god. This match should have been a Sandman normal of seven minutes. Yeah, I, this was ridiculous. Like, asking Sandman to go 15 minutes or whatever it was. This match went 20 minutes and 55 seconds, Patrick. In no universe would I ever ask Sandman to go 20 minutes and 55 seconds. And also... Does that include his entrance, though? Oh, no. Yeah, with the entrance... Oh, they took up... When I looked at the timeline when this match started on the network, again... Waves of fear crashing over me as there was an hour left in this pay-per-view when this match started. That's true. Man, they wasted a lot of fucking tables. I know these were cheap tables because they broke instantly. I hope that the WWE gave these as like freebies or something because they were spray-painted ECW on the bottom of them, which either made me think that they needed to distinguish them from the arena's tables so they didn't grab non-worked tables or that they were just freebies. These had to have been freebies from the WWF that like... They knew were shitty tables or something. They got a bad shipment of tables because it also seems crazy. Like, Paul Heyman, you know, has no money. And so I imagine every time they broke one of these things, Paul Heyman's like, yep, that cost me $20 or that cost me... Like, every time they broke one, I was like, oh, no. Like, well, Heyman's they, terrible with money anyway, so he... The wrestling table company that made these or whoever should be out of business because if you need- can't se- support Sabu's weight, I mean, this little guy... He is a very small man. I know. 
It's amazing that they got as many to stay up as they did before they just totally collapsed. It's true. They weren't sawed in the half either. These were just collapsing into millions of pieces. I mean, they were just sawdust, basically. Yeah, this was these were awful. Uh, And this was an awful match. And again, like I said, again, just build up to the biggest spot. Like the Arabian face buster. Yeah, that's cool. But you've already done so much in this match. Yeah. Could you not have ended it, yeah, ten minutes sooner? Yeah. I'm sure there were guys on the roster that, I guess, they couldn't afford to pay them, but they still need to get three hours out of the show. But it's like, this sucked. Like, I just, this was awful. The world title match is next. But first, Joey Styles plugs the ECW catalog, which, unfortunately, they blur out the address on the network, or else we were going to send away for some ECW catalogs. I would love to have. I bet this catalog was two pages. I mean, I don't like when you say catalog. It makes me think. Do you remember like those J.C. Penny or oh Sears, yeah, the Christmas like catalog. the Wish books? Yeah. yeah, that were like a phone book size. Yeah, that's yeah. what I want it to be yeah. like. Yeah. But what would they be selling in something like that? But Taz interrupts him though, and Taz wants Bam Bam at the next pay per view, which he forgets the fucking name of. You had one line, man. We're live, pal. Taz forgets it and then blames it. He's like, you guys have too many fucking names for these pay-per-views. For you fans interested in getting a free ECW merchandise catalog jam-packed with videotapes, t-shirts, hats, and so much more. Wait, wait a minute. You're not, you're not supposed to be. Shut up. I'm Taz, the ECW World Television Champion, the most prestigious champion in this business. And in a few minutes, you're gonna see Bam Bam Bigelow, another prestigious champion, beat Shane Douglas. And I want you to beat him. Bam Bam, I want you to win. Because on March 1st, ECW's next pay-per-view. They're calling it, ah, uh, ah, uh, living dangerously or some, uh, listen. Bigelow, I'm challenging you on March 1st. Do your job, Styles, and earn your money. Living Dangerously is the next pay-per-view. He wants Bam Bam. And uh, what I told you before we started recording, Bam Bam's up next in a title match. Couldn't you wait until after the title match before you choose who you want? You would think that. Yeah, that... Excuse my logic, Patrick. You would think that. Because I would think the TV champ would want the world champ. It's true. But I guess this was personal and he didn't care. And I mean, he didn't care because he... You know, invented his own championship belt, the FTW championship. So this was a that was a beautiful looking belt, by the way. Bam Bam and Shane Douglas get Goldberg intros with a bit of their backstage walk. The rest of the triple threat has been banned from ringside. Yes, in ECW where anything goes, no, you can't have your uh, team with you. So they've been banned from ringside, and Francine is on crutches. Shane Douglas is from Pittsburgh, so in this heel heel matchup, he's the face. Bam Bam shoves Douglas out of the ring. By the way, Bam Bam hates this world title belt. He just slings it to the ground. He doesn't even hand it to the ref. He makes you go pick it up, Patrick Young. What an asshole. Bigelow and Douglas exchange strikes. Bigelow hits a stinger splash and throws Douglas out of the ring. Douglas tries his belly to belly. That's his finisher. But Bigelow headbutts out of it. Douglas tries a scoop slam, but Bigelow's weight is too much and he almost gets pinned. Bigelow locks on a chin lock as Francine looks on in despair. Bigelow catches Douglas in a high cross attempt, slams him for a two count. Vertical suplex and a baseball slide from Bigelow. Douglas is thrown into the post, splashed in the guardrail. 
Low blows Bigelow, finally goes on offense for a second, but immediately Bam Bam blocks a suplex, hits one of his own for a near fall, then goes right back to the chin lock. Douglas hulks up, but gets snake-eyed into the post and then tumbles out of the ring. Bigelow gets a table, brings it into the ring, goes for the moonsault through the table, but Shane stops him and power bombs him through instead. But Bigelow recovers and slowly reverse vertical suplexes Douglas over the ropes very gently so that Shane wouldn't have a rough landing. Bam Bam is visibly gassed now as he is just sweating profusely about halfway through this match. Douglas can't take the big man off his feet, even with clotheslines, and even a clothesline over the top rope, he lands on his feet. So Bam Bam has taken all of one bump so far in this match. Douglas leaps into Bam Bam's arms and he power bombs Douglas through a table. Francine tells Shane to stick to the plan. Stick to the plan, honey. Douglas then comes back into the ring to only eat another power bomb, but Bigelow only gets a two count. John Finnegan gets shoved by Bam Bam, but he wakes back up. It didn't mean anything. Douglas is busted open by this point in the match after Bam Bam striking. He wants to press slam Shane into the crowd like he did with Spike. I don't think he would make it. Uh, Spike Dudley significantly lighter than Shane Douglas. Yeah. So Francine decides to cost her husband, uh, not her husband, Francine decides to stop the wrestler she manages from winning the title by calling for the triple threat, which if they had made it to the ring, would have gotten him DQ'd, and that would have been the end of the match. They're stopped by security, though, and Shane gets press slammed into the triple threat over the security guy, so Bam Bam was able to press slam him, but not into the crowd. Francine then comes into the ring and decides, I'm going to go one-on-one with Bam Bam Bigelow. Yes, the man who was fighting Lawrence Taylor a few years ago is now going to fight Francine. He no-sells getting hit with a crutch from Francine. And then she ducks a crutch swing from Bam Bam. He swung that damn thing at her. Oh, yeah. Like, if she hadn't a duck, she was taking a a flying... She would have been... Flying bump. She would have gone into the crowd. And then Shane comes into the ring and he crushes Shane's throat with the crutch. And I'm like, okay, well, this is the end of the match. Douglas, though, hits a desperation belly to belly for bump number two. Bam Bam then gets up from it as Douglas can't capitalize. Bam Bam gets a chair and a table and sets them up together. But Douglas belly to bellies him through the chair and table and gets the win, despite literally doing. Almost nothing in this match, Patrick. Bump number three is the charm as Bam Bam Bigelow goes down and his brief title run is over. And there you go. Uh, Shane Douglas wins in his hometown in a main event that went 25-02. Bam Bam Bigelow went 25-02. And it showed. And he was sucking wind. And Shane Douglas needed to get some more offense in this match for me to buy it as a match like i you can't have a one-sided match end with belly to belly and even though it was through a chair and a table i don't buy it piece of table yeah and especially after i mean i saw this guy no sell a crutch shot earlier this guy didn't sell anything the entirety of the match but now all of a sudden this one belly to belly is the big man's done in and taz looks like a fool because now he's challenged a loser so good call taz Good pick. What do you think of this main event, Patrick? I mean, I like the match, but I'm with you there. There was a little one. It was way too one-sided for me. Well, especially to have the ending that they had. Like, if it was just a one-sided beatdown from Bam Bam and he walks out of there with the belt, then 
I'm for that. I like like the destruction of a beloved character. Like in Pittsburgh, it would have been uh, he would have been received that way as like a you know this hero is getting beaten down. But these guys are you know for the vast majority of ECW fans, both of these guys are heels, and Bam Bam is actually probably preferred. I would say for the ECW crowd because he was throwing Spike Dudley into the crowd, and so. This match was never going to have a lot of heat behind it to begin with. And then no. it never got any going. Like, And also during this match, I thought it was super weird. But Joey Styles would get really quiet. Like, Joey Styles didn't have anything to say about this match or the tables and ladders match earlier. Like, there would be long yeah. periods of silence. And I guess they didn't have the crowd mic'd very well or anything. And it was just, you could hear a pin drop sometimes. Yeah, it was, the crowd would cheer for seconds but since it was so much bam bam like they just sat there waiting for their chance to see shane come back they just wanted anything to happen and nothing nothing really happened there was no interference there was no crazy spots really crazy based on what they're used to you know so patrick november to remember 1997 overall uh what are your thoughts on this card and this night and what ECW was doing here in 97. Possibly the hottest month in pro wrestling. Uh, the hottest month, two months, because if you count Starcade 97 with Sting and Hogan, this was a huge uh, period in pro wrestling here. It was a good show, but a lot of hits and misses. I mean, a lot of misses. Yeah, I just didn't like the way the matches were structured. Even... Uh, even the early matches, the really my two favorite matches were RVD and Dreamer and the Garbage Brawl, and I actually think the Garbage Brawl might be my favorite match of the night because when you think of like what represents ECW, it's Garbage Brawls like that with like, just chaos and madness and uh, New Jack and Dudleys and Joel Gertner and like everything, like everything exemplified about in blood and just yeah. just chaos like everything you think about when you think ecw was exemplified in that match and then all the other matches the other thing ecw is known for is like really classic one-on-one matches with great technicians or great aerial guys or you know great hardcore matches with like mike awesome and stuff and i don't think you really got a lot of the the greatness in the rest of this card i think Sabu tried his best, but Sandman is not an opponent that you can go 20 minutes with and put on a good show. Like, imagine if that was Sabu and RVD with tables and ladders. Like, how much more fun that would have been. Or even Sabu and, like, Spike Dudley. Or somebody that can move. Like, somebody that Ariel got... Or, like, Great Sasuke. Or, like, any any of the talent that you could have had. Cronus in that match would have been awesome. Like... Yeah. Uh, so Sandman was just the wrong opponent for Sabu in this particular match. Like, Sandman's just one of those guys that he's a novelty act. And he's not... That's not to... His, his best part of a show is, is his entrance. Is his entrance. He's an entrance. And if he hits a guy with a kendo stick and leaves, that's what... And drinks a beer. Like, that's what people like. And yeah. you can't expect more out of him than that. Yeah. And they tried to, and it failed miserably. Tommy Rogers and Candido, I actually enjoyed. Credible Whipwreck, hands down, match of the night. 
in my eyes. Pitbull and Taz, I could give two shits about. I like the the Fatal 4-Way. There was a story to the Justin Incredible and Mikey Whipwreck match yes. throughout the match. Not yes. like... There wasn't really a storyline buildup, or at least we don't know because they dub it out on the network, but uh, it was... They told a story in the... Like, his comeback, like, Whipwreck's comeback was better than Shane Douglas's comeback in his match. Like, it made more sense. He got more offense in than Shane Douglas did. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, the rest of it, uh, Taz squash match, pretty forgettable. I didn't like... I could care less about the flag match, really. I, yeah, I, you wanted him to burn the flag. Yeah. I just... Sandman Sabu was terrible. Bigelow Douglas, I, I mean... I like both of them guys, but it was just... Both those guys really did what they could do, but... I, I don't know. They just were... It was an off night for them. Yeah, it seemed like the... The three big matches towards the end of the card were really disappointing and uh, really long and didn't do very good jobs of telling their stories. So, for that reason, I wouldn't recommend watching this. This is... Uh, a waste of your time. Sorry. I'm kind of with you. There are much better examples of ECW out there. So on our rating scale, Hornswoggle to Giant Gonzalez, where is this one going to fall? In honor of the FBI, I'm giving it a little Guido. I'm giving it a Francine for the franchise who was victorious on this this night but now patrick it's your choice for next week's review where will we be going shopping in the retro wrestling podcast archives well see this match had so much involvement with fonzie i want to do a tribute show not a lot of whistle from him at least on here i heard it but it wasn't overbearing i want to do a tribute show to fonzie oh because well he is a former referee yeah so we're going to have two separate ECW TVs, one of which is November 7th, 1995. Oh, November... Okay, November 7th, 95. The next is October 6th of 97. Okay, so two nights that feature Fonzie prominently. I believe Specifically in... the October of 97. Yes, uh, he did a match with Beulah. Uh, so this would be... Before this pay-per-view, about a month before this pay-per-view that we just reviewed, uh, he did a match with Beulah, and he did a very bad blade job on himself, and he claims to have lost a third of his blood. I can uh, believe it. I believe it as well. It's a very bloody match. It's a mixed tag match uh, with uh, RVD and Beulah with Dreamer. Which, quickly, uh, RVD and Dreamer are gone, and so it's a one-on-one. and Intergender match, which is what... Nia Jax and Dean Ambrose are doing on the house show circuit coming up, so there's how it relates to 2019. There you so, go. two random episodes of Hardcore TV, which we have not watched yet, so that'll be fun. Yeah. And uh, I believe there's a, an appearance of Stone Cold Steve Austin in that 1995 there is. episode, as well as Mick Foley, so uh, all those guys before their WWF runs. Uh, Public Enemy before they head off to WCW. Yeah. I like Public Enemy. No, they in ECW they were great. Yeah, WCW they didn't. WCW didn't know what to do with them. They were champs for about a week in WCW, yeah. so they did capture the belts. But always go to powerslam.tv. Use the code Retro Wrestling for one month free, forty two hundred hours of content all around the world. And if you use the code Retro Wrestling, 
that'll help us out. I don't know how it'll help us out, but it will. Uh, I don't think it'll help us out monetarily, but they'll know that people listen to the show and uh, subscribe to their service. And there's a lot to watch on there. Uh, like I said before, like CZW, a lot of shoot interviews, a lot of random indie shows that you might not know about. So go to powerslam.tv. That'll do it for this week. I'm Intern Alex. I'm the one and only, the greatest referee in professional wrestling history, Patrick Young. Saying, as always, my clothesline is a clothesline. And bingo, bingo. I have a lot of friends in this business. Um, one of the best times that I had in this business was... Uh, uh, being part of an ECW was being part of Triple Threat. Three of the, the major, major players in that company at the time, myself, Chris Candido, and Shane Douglas, uh, we formed uh, an alliance called Triple Threat where the three of us just went around kicking everybody's ass. So uh, that was fun. And then in WCW, uh, we formed a triad, which was me, Chris Candy, who's a great kid, and then... Um, Diamond Dallas Page is somebody that I known from Asbury Park when I was young and grew up with and never expected him to be in the business. So, and Page went on to be a big time hero. He's retired now, but uh, those were great, man. The triad and the triple threat. Are you tired of the same old pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 4,000 hours of the best pro wrestling events from over 110 of the biggest names in the industry from over 15 countries around the globe. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv.